Hello, and welcome back to Talking Talmud. I'm one of your hosts, Jordana Osman, here with my friend, Chabruta and Gordon. Our DAP today, Masechet Yivamot, DAP Kuf Bet, page 102, where we are getting great information about Chalitza today. Uh, in a way, again, as I pointed out yesterday, that seems very different than Yibum. Yibum feels like this sort of vague thing. And with Chalitza, we're getting all this detail of how the ceremony works, who actually saw Chalitza done, how many times have they seen it be done, what does the shoe look like? What does it mean to take the shoe off? I, I don't know. Like, Anne, do you hear what I'm saying? Like, Yibum still feels very vague in my head. And all of a sudden, I'm getting chal- to Chalitza, and it's like providing all the detail that we didn't have before. I think Yibum feels vague in your head because a lot of the details of Yibum, of what precisely constitutes Yibum in a Yichud situation, right? If the two are in seclusion and what constitutes actually having sexual intercourse, which was described in great detail. Great it's not detail. so pleasant to think about, right? Meaning, so the question of, you know, how much of a man's penis, and of the Yavam's penis, enters the Yavama, so we don't want to think about that, so we forgot about it, so that we think that it wasn't addressed so carefully. I think it was addressed very carefully. Okay, but I think that's I, I think I, I guess what it more, is, is I think it's more picturesque. I yeah, think exactly. what's weird is, Yibum is not a real ceremony, right? Like, in other words, there's a coarseness to it, which is exactly what we saw from all of those very vivid descriptions, as you just said. Chalitza is a ceremony, so I guess we're more comfortable with the language around it. At least I am. Um, I think I, I would just say that I think Chalitza is weird, and that's why it's interesting, right? Like it's it's a there's some drama to it. There's a it's picturesque. The two of them are facing each other, right? Meaning we haven't yet even heard a description of the ceremony, but the, we have to. We're waiting to find out what's it really going to be, as opposed to the couple sleeps together, right? That that is. I'm not saying there's no drama in that. I'm just saying that it's it's a known commodity, and Chalitza really le- is not. But less drama in a certain way. So um, so one of the things our Mishnah talked about is that the Yibama does Chalitza with the Minal, with the shoe, and then the Chalitza is considered to be a kosher Chalitza. So the Gemara wants to talk a little bit more about this, and it opens up with a rather wild statement. Amar Rabba, Amar Rav Tahana, Amar Rav. So Rabba said in the name of Rav Tahana, who said in the name of Rav. If Eliyahu would come and say that one can do chalitza with this minal, we would listen to him. But if he would say we don't do chalitza with a sandal, we would not obey him. Because the people were already used to doing chalitza with a sandal. Um, so I just found this to be, uh, you know, an amazing statement. We'll unpack it in a second. For Rav Yosef, I'm a Rav Tahana, I'm a Rav. And Rav Yosef says in the name of Rav Tahana, said in the name of Rav, Im yavo Eliyahu v'amar, ain chotim v'min'al. Right? If Eliyahu would come and say, we don't do chalitza with this min'al, shominlo, we would listen to him. Ain chotim v'sandal. But if he would say that we should not perform chalitza with a sandal, ain shominlo, we would not listen to him. Shekavar nagua am v'sandal. Because everybody, the people were accustomed to doing this with a sandal. So with the sundial. So, you know, it's very interesting, you know, sort of what is going on here. What does this mean? This idea that like if Eliyahu were to come, you know, and and part of what Eliyahu said goes against what the minhag was of uh, of the people, we're not going to listen to him. And remember, we have many times in the Gemara where it's sort of mentioned like such and such a thing we don't have a resolution for. And we say, okay, it's going to be resolved when Eliyahu comes. And here we're sort of saying the opposite. Like, Eliyahu kind of doesn't get to weigh in on this if it's going to go against what has already, um, 
what has already uh, been uh, been done. Um, and, uh, you know, that, but what's interesting here is that what we basically see is, is that what's going to be discussed and come out is that the rabbis basically did make some type of takana that we shouldn't use the mina'al for chalitza. But in Rav's version of what he's saying here, he's saying that if Eliyahu came and said, like, we're not going to listen to that takana anymore, we could rely, we could rely on it. But if he tried to reverse Eliyahu using the sandal, that is something that we're not going to be allowed. And I think the reason for that is, is that, look, you know, this is really dealing with the status of, you know, the woman can basically, the Yavama can basically remarry after this. And if there's any question that that chalitza was not done correctly, then any of those children from a, the, her next relationship, right, the relationship she remarries after chalitza is done, those children would basically be a mamzer because she didn't actually get divorced technically, you know, or didn't separate herself from the Avam in the right way. Maybe they had some, uh, they still had that relationship there. And so I, I think that, you know, it's sort of trying to say the force of like, once Khalid has been done under the court in a way with a shoe that we find acceptable, not even Eliyahu could come and actually overturn that. And I, I think it's telling us sort of the, uh, you know, how serious Chalitza actually, actually is. Um, the, the Gemara then wants to explain what's the difference between Rav Kahana's uh, a statement in the name of Rav, my Beinahu, what's the practical difference? The practical difference is whether the Minal could be used Rabba says that we'd basically listen to Eliyahu if he said that you could use it. But initially, we don't actually use it. Rabbi Yosef says we'd obey Eliyahu if he did not allow the use of, of a manal, which implies that we do allow the use of it. So that's that's sort of the difference uh, uh, there. And then the Gemara can say, according to the one who says that even which would be Rabbi Yosef, that you can use it, right? We have the following question. Uh, we learned in a Mishnah, Right, someone who does chalitza with a mina'al, chalitza is valid. The avad ain. This implies that after the fact it is right. It's bidiyevin, but lechatzchila no. But initially it shouldn't be done that way. So the gemara answers, who adin da'afila chatzchila? No. In fact, what this mission is telling us is even lechatzchila, the mina'al is okay. Vaday debay lemine sefa. Right. However, the Tana needed to state this in the latter part of the Mishnah. Uh, that if she performs chalitza with a sock, then her chalitza is invalid. Even after the fact, it's even bidiyevet, even after the fact, it's invalid. So he sort of taught the language in the same way, which we see very often in Mishnah, that the language wants to be parallel. And so they teach it in, uh, so they teach it in the same way. Um, and now we have a Tanaitic dispute uh, to sort of back up this uh, Amoraic dispute between Rabbi and Rabbi Yosef. But again, what's interesting to me here about what's going to go on here is it's a, a dispute that's going to be taught by example, things that we were missing with Yibam. Right? The question of whether Minael can be used for Chalitza Lechatzchila is a disagreement of the Tanaim, the Tanya. We learned in a Brisa. I'm a Rabbi Yossi. Rabbi Yossi said, One time I went to Nitzibim, Matzati Zakenachad, and I found an old man. I said to him, are you at all familiar with Rabbi Yehuda ben Bittera? Amar li, hey? He said, yes. And I, he was frequently at my table. 
Um, and so <laughs> Rabbi Yossi asked him, he says, did you ever see him do chalitza? He wants to know how he did chalitza. Amarli, ra'iti shechalat So this Zakain says, yes, I saw him do chalitza many times. So Rabbi Yossi asked, what did he use? The mina'al or the sandal? Amarli, He said he used the mina'al. So then why the Torah states, right, his na'al, which implies, but not his mina'al. Amarti lo, I said to him, im kein mara'ab Rabbi Meir lomar. If so, why did Rabbi Meir say, Why would he say that chalitza with a mina'al is, uh, is, is kosher? Rabbi Yaakov Omer Mishmo, Rabbi Yaakov says in his name, in the name of Rabbi Meir, that you can use a mina'al. You see that the Tanaim in this Brisa disagree whether or not could be used. But what's interesting is, is that they get to this a little bit by example, right? That in other words, uh, there's something about the, you know, that, that, that even the tradition, like Rabbi Yossi Yuzatana was not completely sure and wanted to ask an elder, how was it done in a previous generation with somebody else? The Gemara is now going to try to understand a little bit more uh, uh, about this dispute, what the difference is with the shoe itself. Um, and then it goes on, uh, you know, where it says, Gezer Mishum Mina'al Mirupat, that the Mina'al was not used L'Chatzchila, right, by a, begin, by a rabbinic decree, by a Gezera, because uh, there was a concern that you might think that a torn Mina'al, which is for sure, even B'Diyebed not allowed, would be allowed. Or Inan, the Gezera was put in, is... Uh, is mishum chatzim al because maybe we were worried somebody might use a half minal. So the Gemara's conclusion ultimately is, is that there is a gazera, right? It is bidiyeva that it's okay, but it takes them a little bit of time uh, to work that out. And then finally, uh, the one other thing I want to do is again, we have another example here. Amarav, ilav de chamite lechabibe de chalat besandal to eat la shmitzin. If not that I had seen my uncle, right? That he that he one time saw uh, his uncle. So Rabbi Chia is Rav's uncle. He was the brother of his father, um, uh, and uh, and his mother. So that's just something to know about. Okay. So he's talking about Rabbi Chia that he said if he had not seen his uncle do chalitza uh, with a sandal that has straps, right? I would only have presided over chalitza with the Arabian type of sandal. Right, the mahadek tapi, which is more tightly fastened, basically to the foot, the dan, and this sandal of ours, Although it has a knot, you know, katran be we tie it a long strap to it. Ki de ma'alte, so that the ibamas chalitza will be uh, will be done the right way. That she'll have to untie the strap and then remove the shoe. So again, I, I, you know, I, I'm taken by that this whole thing with Eliyahu, I, I, I think that the Gemara is really trying to make clear that once the Chalitza is done, we're not going to, we're not going to review, we're not going to reverse it um, because it just would cause, you know, it, 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 it just would be too difficult for people if there's any question about somebody's Chalitza. And again, just to point out that finally now we're really seeing like real life examples, like they're really trying to say, I saw it done this way, I saw it done that way, and that's how I know how to do chalitza.
So I think also um, the very fact that Chazal are dealing with a rabbinic thing, right, and saying this, once it's done, it's done, is also kind of, um, what's the word, like shoring up the rabbinic authority over this whole procedure. Right. I I think you're 100% right. Like once it's done, it's done and we're done and we move on. And not even Eliyahu can come and reverse the chalitza. And I think that makes sense because it really just needs to be done. Everybody just needs to move on. You know, the brother didn't fulfill what he was supposed to do. And everybody needs to just move on. It's painful for everybody. Like this isn't a nice thing to do, right? Part of it is you're sort of humiliating the brother. And today, when we force people to do chalitza, and unfortunately I have heard of people that do chalitza, it's not a pleasant ceremony to go through. You know, it's, it's painful for everybody. It's a reminder that somebody died without children. It's a reminder that that brother's name is not going to really be carried on. You know, I don't think the today the living brother particularly wants to do that or sort of like feel like he's not doing what he's supposed to do. And so in the way what the Gemara is saying is like, we're just moving on. You had to do chalitza, we're done. No, there's no questions asked about it. I hear you. As a counterpoint, I know people also had to do chalitza where I would say that it was a... Uh a formal thing to do, meaning there was no thought of the brother doing yibum, right? So then, I don't know, I get, I get the sense that in this day and age, it's not, there's no concern of humiliation. It's not because the wife is saying, fat, I don't want to oh, be with you. I, that I agree with you about. I don't think it's humiliating. I just think it's probably an emotional thing to do, but not because of humiliation piece, more because somebody died and this is something you have to do after. And it's closure, meaning it's an it's, it's the closure, final right. thing. Yeah. Right. I that I that I hear. And, and in um, a way it's very sad. In a way, it's like separating that wife from that family, right? Like now she really can move on. But I agree with you. I don't think today it has the same humiliation piece to it at all. Okay. So I'm gonna go on. I'm on I'm a bit. I wanna correct something or or add to what I said before. When I said the rabbi is doing this rabbinic thing, the all of the details of Chalitza are the rabbinic thing. There is a Torah verse that talks about Chalitza, or we would never have thought of it, right? So Rav Kahana says to Shmuel, how do we know that the verse in the Torah, it's in Sefer Devarim, Deuteronomy, chapter 25, it says specifically, when she removes her, removes, when she, this word, she something her shoe from, from off her foot, right? How do we know that what that means is taking off her, her shoe? Uh, the word here in the Gemara is mishlaf, right? Mishlaf meaning to take off, to remove, as compared to chalza, which seems to be a more unusual word, a biblical word. It presumably was not in common use outside of the phenomenon of chalitza by the time we get to chazal. And we've got another verse in Vayikra in Leviticus that's talking about, it's talking about Sarat and it's talking about the stones um, that could be part of, that could they themselves could have gotten sarat, and they say remove them, remove those stones. That and then so there you go. Chalza means to remove. Well, okay, that's fine that it means that in that context, says the Gemara. But what about when it means to really to shore up or to strengthen? Because we have another place of this the the root, right, that it says, arm the men of your army, or the men from among you for the army. 
that's in Bamidbar Lamed Aleph. And again, Hechal Tzu, that's, that's the same word. Hatamnami, Shlufemi Krava. So the Gemara explicates this and says, no, when it says, you know, arm the men, what it means is really remove them from their homes and take them to the army. You get a lot more bang for your buck in that in that one word. It's not just, you know, put them in the army or not just remove them, but both aspects. The Gemara says, hang on. Don't we also have a verse in Eov, the book of Job, chapter 36, that says, he, God, God will deliver the afflicted or the poor in his poverty or the afflicted one in his affliction. And so the Gemara says, no, what that means is you're removing from this this unfortunate person the sentence, the sentence on his head of Gehinom, of Gehenna, hell, whatever this means, right? The idea being that, again, that we're going to understand this word to mean to remove. Um, and the Gemara goes on. We've got another few of these to say, but but doesn't it mean something else in this context? And doesn't it mean something else in this context? And each time the Gemara kind of re-reads the verse to allow, or th- there's enough room in the interpretation to find the meaning of remove in um, in all of those other verses. And it goes through Tehillim and, and Navi, Navi, the book of Isaiah, Isaiah right? Um, and the point here is, of course, don't mess with us, right? This word means to remove the shoe. That is what is happening. That is what is happening. You want to say that this word means something else somewhere else? It doesn't, and I'm going to prove to you why not. And literally goes through all of these different cases to make it clear that when she, when she takes his shoe off, his, off of his foot, that is what she's doing. She's literally removing it. Okay, the Gemara goes on to say, I'm still on my bed, obviously, because that's where I began, but um, but a bit further down. What, what the Torah could have said, Hashem could have said, on his foot, and then she would be doing something on his foot, as opposed to from off his foot. I would think there would be on his foot in but on his on his calf, right, the the leg part of the regel, um, that it would not apply. Ketav Rachmana, me'al raglo, the, therefore the Torah in, says these words, me'al raglo, from, from on his foot, da'afilu b'shoko, to teach that even on the, the part of the leg that is no longer what we in English would call the foot, um, it would still count. Ma'i me'al raglo, shma'amina mishlafu. So again, what does it mean from on his foot? And the Gemara reiterates, we are talking here about removal. And then the Gemara takes a sidebar. And nowhere in Aramaic, what happens? We have Amin, a, a heretic, who comes to an apostate, who comes to Rabban Gamliel and says that you, you people of Israel, you children of Israel, are a nation from whom the master removed himself. Again, Ama Dechalatzle Mare. The, a nation that the master of that nation removed himself from them. Because in Hosea, in the book of the prophet Hosea, the word, the same word of chalatz is used in this description of how God removed himself from the Bnei Israel because they were sinning and they were bad and God kind of 
took himself away, and that, of course, you know, regarded as punishment. The idea being that this is as if God did chalitza with the Jewish people to say, you know, you're in all of your language of now they can move on, meaning now that separation is final. The implication here of God doing so is really, you know, very unpleasant to think about. And of course, Rabbi Gamliel doesn't like it. Amar le, shota, Rabbi Gamliel says to me, fool, me katav chalatz lahem. Who wrote that? Who wrote this chalatz? Who put that same vocabulary in the in the prophecy? Meaning, first of all, it doesn't say chalatz lahem, chalatz mehem ktiv. It says um, removed from from them. Meaning, the implication being that Bnei Israel, that the people did the chalitza on him on God. I, I'm not liking this particularly all that much better. Um, so Rabbi Khalil says, and if you have a Yavama who had her shoe removed from the Yavam, or all the Yavamin, what does that matter? It doesn't mean anything. Meaning you to say that the people of, of Israel left God by removing themselves from God. And that doesn't mean anything about God's relationship with Bnei Israel, And it puts the onus of this separation on the people who don't have the power even to, to be worried about their separation from God, which is a really interesting, um, I want to say hair splitting, right? Meaning Rabbi Gamliel is picking on the words that the, the person who's come to make these accusations, listen, it's not a pleasant setting to begin with, right? He comes in a way that is, is, uh, you know, to be a daskinik, to make trouble, to stir things up. But the Rabbi Gamliel's way of saying, you know, don't be a fool, or you're such a fool, he, the way he, he shows that the claim was wrong is by wordplay, or, or careful, very careful reading of the text, which I feel like we could say so many other ways to say, but look at all these, like just say, look at God in Jewish history after the book of Hosea, and you could see that God is there and didn't do chalitza. Um, you know, I'm not saying Rabbi Gamliel gets it wrong. I think that his reading of the text is important in switching and understanding that that when the yavama, who does what in the ceremony matters. And even as a metaphor, it matters. And the moment you switch things around, then you no longer have the metaphor to really uphold the claim. And, and therefore, he shoots the guy down. But I think there are other ways he could have shot him down too. Um, yeah, there probably is. I mean, it's also, again, interesting to see how they want to do a very deep read of the, you know, of the, of the Sukim themselves to get to where they want to get to. Like, ultimately, this is supposed to be based on the Sukim, right? And it's not even about necessarily like a halakhic piece. It's like more about like, what does it all mean? I think it lines up with what you were saying, Yodin. I think they want there to be no capacity for undermining or questioning the this procedure being the right procedure, the effective procedure. Right. And, and I understand that. And I'm curious if we'll see sort of the same language when we get to Gittin. Sort of like once it's done, it's done. We don't question it anymore. It just has to be done. And because remember, Halitza and Aget are supposed to have some type of like equivalency to them. So uh, this is a question I'm going to keep in my mind when we get to uh, w- when we get to getting. 
Well, that's our DAP discussion for the day. Rank us, review us on all major podcasts. Thank you to Reverend Michelle Farber for hosting. Let us know what you thought about this DAP on our Talking Tom and Facebook page. And until tomorrow, go and learn.